With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming to you from the Exile Brewing Company Studios. Also, thank you to Heartland Flag Coles and Flags. Check out their website and all of their team goods, flags, other memorabilia and item at heartlandflags.com. It's not just Hawkeyes. You have other favorite teams. They have a flag for it, more than likely. Steve, the Big Ten... Um, before we get into the minutia of game by game, I was perusing some of the Big Ten conference statistics. Every team has played four conference games at this point, which means bye weeks are probably over for, mm-hmm. every, for everybody. Um, so four games in, everybody's on equal footing. There are only three teams in this league that are averaging more than 23.1 points per game. Just three. And all three, of, all three of those are averaging over 30. But only three of 14 teams are averaging over 23.1 points per game. Dude. Wow. That means, and many of these teams, the best ones are just now beginning, in terms of the best defensive talent, are just now beginning to play each other. And when you look at the non-conference schedules the league played, I mean, what were the best non-conference? Okay, no, I'm, talk, I'm talking Big Ten games only. Oh, Big Ten games only. I want to clarify that. So four, right, four Big Ten games. Okay. Minnesota is fourth in scoring. Minnesota is fourth in scoring in conference play only at 23.0. They're fourth. I can't even. I just can't even with that. I just can't. And, <laughs> and, and some of it, and here's what we don't know is what is percentage is how good the defenses are. What's the percentage that the defenses are that good because of what the offenses are. That's, and, that's the age old thing that you get in our, and we don't know. And, and we fans. had this conversation for years about the sec when they had that run of eight straight national championships. Right. So, but how many great quarterbacks played in the league when they had all those great defensive stats, and then we'd get to the NFL draft, right? Mm-hmm. And we'd see all these SEC guys that were drafted, and like, okay, well, I guess that's the answer to our question, which means we probably won't get the answer to this question until next April. Be- meaning we won't know what it, it clearly the, how good the defenses are has something to do with it. What we don't know is it 50 50, 70 30, 80 20, 60 40. We don't know the ratio, is what I'm trying to say, John. Right. And, we, and we probably won't know. Until we find out, is Josie Jewell a first or second round pick, or is he a sixth round pick? Right? Is Maurice Hurst is he a top ten pick, or is he a second round pick? Um, it, you know, it is the, that stud linebacker at Penn State whose name always escapes me, who was National Defensive Player of the Week this week? Is he a first or second round pick, or is he a fifth round pick? 
that will kind of tell us in April we should revisit this because that that'll tell us when we get to the draft what percentage of this was how good the guys on defense are compared to how anemic the guys on offense are we just don't know the answer to that right now we don't there's only three teams that have scored more than 11 touchdowns in conference play that's that's well we also look at the quarterback play we have JT Barrett, which, yes, he's going to own every record in the Big Ten that Drew Brees does not when it's all said and done. But he's a guy who the last two years, when it's mattered in games against equal equal talent, has not been able to effectively execute the pass, passing game. You look at, um, you know, Penn State has a legit quarterback, obviously. Michigan State's breaking in a new guy. Iowa's breaking in a new guy. Michigan is essentially playing last year's third-string quarterback, this year's backup. Uh, you look at Indiana, they've switched to a freshman quarterback to run more of a, a, a spread type of a system. Uh, you know, so there's a lot. What I'm saying is there is a lot of in, Minnesota's already on their second quarterback now. There's a lot of inexperienced quarterback play all throughout this league, and that's going to play into that too. Ohio State has scored more touchdowns than Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, and Purdue combined. Anyway, enough of that. They're also a team that their best win so far this year is Army. It's true. There's still a lot to be decided. I would just say my knee-jerk reaction right now with five conference games to go for everyone is the Big Ten's not that great. Now, Penn State's number two. I don't two. think anybody's that great, by the way. Well, no. There, there, there's, there's, there, I think Alabama's pretty good. I meant conference-wise. Right. I meant conference Right, okay. yeah. The, the, I, I don't think that there's one hands-down league. I mean, if Notre Dame were in the ACC, then – but then again, Florida State's two and four, so it is. I think Notre Dame might lose this weekend to NC State, frankly. But go ahead. NC State's been playing well, and maybe maybe it's the ACC. But at any rate, let's let's talk about some Big Ten games. The biggest game that was on the menu last week was Michigan at Penn State. Uh, Penn State had a little payback they wanted to give Michigan. Uh, they did winning that game, forty-two to thirteen. Kept their foot on the throttle late in that game. Uh, Michigan's offensive struggles uh, continue. 269 total yards uh, in this game. Both teams with one turnovers. Penn State just had a better playmaker at running back, which they pretty much do each and every week. And uh, Saquon Barkley is one heck of a player. And uh, he was once again the difference. In our last podcast when we focused on Iowa, you gave a little foreshadow as to some similar things that Iowa is struggling with. Michigan Mm -hmm. is also struggling with. So I will yield the floor to you. Well, I think there's a lot of parallels. I think that a lot of the the perception – of impatience within Iowa's fan base and that Iowa faces from national media at the time or at times comes from the money that Ferentz made, which is pretty par for the course for top coaches now, but was really unique at the time he started getting paid it. And I think that has something to do with a similar perspective where Harbaugh is concerned as well. Um, and then of course you throw in his, off-season persona, which I'll address here in a moment, but I think that that has a lot to do with it. I think the other thing that has something to do with it is um, when when you as a fan put higher expectations on where you are and who you are than what you really are. And you know what's funny is as we get further away from Saturday night, I get more patient and less upset about it. 
And I and I think here's why. I went and watched the Michigan Penn State game from last year again before this this one. Three was, guys. Wasn't that Penn State's last loss. Yes. Okay. Three guys. Well, the, other than the Rose Bowl, yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry, last loss last year. Three three guys who started for us in that game started on Saturday night. Three. 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 Virtually the exact same Penn State team, minus a couple of their linebackers, including their best one that was hurt, were all the same guys that started last year's game. And, you know, I said before the start of the season that the reason I thought Michigan was the most interesting team going in is because we were going to find out, could Jim Harbaugh do with two recruiting classes, with Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban and Urban Meyer were able to do and we're, we're able to put their programs with three or more. And the reason why Harbaugh gets compared to those guys is because of the money he's making and the persona that he has developed. And I think the answer to that question is no. I mean, the junior and senior level talent on the field between Penn State and Michigan was palpable difference. We might have one, one, one junior or senior on our entire offense that would start for them, maybe. And that's Mason Cole, who's playing out of position at left tackle. He's really an all-American cap caliber center. He's kind of like our Sean Welsh. He's an all-American caliber center. He's an okay, serviceable left tackle. Nothing great. But we have to play him there because of youth and injuries. We don't have a choice. And I think that what we've, what we've learned is this. One, what Nick Saban has done at Alabama is way beyond what anybody else is going to be able to do. But even at Alabama, a program that had a lot of coaching turnover in the decade before he got there, yes, he won his national championship in year three. Do you remember what their record was in year four? No. They lost three games and went to the Citrus Bowl and played Sparty. I looked this up. Mark D'Antonio, his third year, they went six and seven. They went 65 and 16 the next three, next six years. Urban Meyer, when he was at Florida, made a bad, they made a bad hire with Ron Zook after Steve Spurrier. So he comes in. His first two years, he has a tremendous record. His second year, he lost, or his third year, that was the year Tebow won the Heisman, but Florida lost more games. They lost as many games in Urban Meyer's third year at Florida as they did his first two years combined. They went 26 and two the next two years. I looked at um, Nick, and I mentioned what Nick Saban did. How about when he went to LSU, a program that had a lot of coaching turnover in the decade prior to his arrival? His third year, they they were eight and five. The next year is the year they won the national championship. And so, I, I think there's a pattern we're seeing here, where when you take over a big name program that has had a lot of coaching turnover, you may inherit in the junior and senior classes because of how well those schools annually recruit, even when they have mediocre coaching, you may inherit the material you can to be competitive right away. But the suffering comes when the coach is on the hot seat, like what Tennessee has going on right now. A month ago, Tennessee was number one in the ESPN recruiting rankings. They're losing recruits right and left. Why? Because everybody knows he's canned. Everybody knows it. And then you've got to come in and try to build that on the fly. And it's that third or fourth year, often when you are at that school that's had a lot of coaching turnover, I just cited you several examples where you've seen the dip before they have recycled up. Now, I think that's where Michigan is, but then I think there's another problem. And the other problem is you have a Hall of Fame coach in East Lansing. 
You have a Hall of Fame coach in Columbus, Ohio. You have a you have a recruiting go getter at Maryland who is who is stealing two or three kids a year from an area of the country where if you are Michigan, you need to get a couple of those kids to be nationally relevant. Um, we're, we're not even talking about what was Wisconsin's program wasn't even a program when Bo Schembechler was destroying the Big Ten. Um, Iowa's a lot better. Uh, so, I mean, hell, Michigan can't, has struggling to beat Iowa in the last decade. So I think that what we've learned is this. If he's going to do – if he's, we're not – we didn't hire our own Nick Saban. And I think we, we just need to admit that. It's possible he could be an Urban Meyer, but he's going to need two or three more years to recruit for, the, for us to find out. More than likely what we hired is what most of even the great Michigan coaches – like Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr, who were in the Hall of Fame now, what they were. Coaches who, two years, every, every two to four years, this was the pattern. Eight and four, nine and three, 10 and two, 11 and one, eight and four, nine and three, 10 and two, 11 and one. That's just what's going to happen here. And I think, and I just think that we just need, I think, I think, I think Michigan fans, because of the persona Jim built, and I believe Jim built that persona because he knew that he had, in order to recruit at the level of the schools I just mentioned, he wasn't going to be able to do it on Michigan's record alone. John, we're, we're, we're 14 years since our last Big Ten championship. Kids that we're recruiting for 2019 right now were, were going into kindergarten last time we won a Big Ten title. So the Michigan name brand doesn't mean, it means a lot to people like us. But if you're if, if you're a junior in high school, what the hell did it mean to you three years ago, John? Nothing. Right. Didn't mean anything to you. You know what does mean something to you? Hey, I love this guy. He's got a reality show. He sleeps at kids' houses. He's on social media. He goes to Rome. I think that's that's why he had to do that stuff. That's why he had to do it. And so I think that we're just gonna, as Michigan fans, I think if it ends up we go eight and four, nine and three this year, we'll win the next three games. I don't think they'll be dominant wins, but we'll win them. The next three are teams that don't have teams that don't have quarterbacks that can make throws against man-to-man coverage that Trace McSorley made Saturday night, and he might be the only quarterback in this league that can make those throws. Um, we'll win the next three, and then we might not win against Wisconsin or Ohio State. And if it turns out our rebuilding years are eight and four, hell, we were handing out extensions for that year before. So if those are our rebuilding years, then it's going to be really, you know, as Michigan fans, I talked about this with Iowa fans. You have to, while, while it's condescending to say, don't expect more, there is a place, though, where common sense takes over. Yes, we're the winningest program of all time, but we didn't build a lot in, in, in you and I's lifetime. Most of those were not built with runs like what Tom Osborne had at Nebraska. Most of the time, those were nine and two or 10 and two seasons. Most of our lives. That's what Michigan was. And then every now and then they'd have a team like Harbaugh's junior year where they almost won a national championship except for Iowa when they finished number two or Lloyd Carr had his team in 97. But most of Lloyd Carr's teams, John, what were they? Were they 11 and one or 10 and three? What were most of his teams? 10 and three. And, it, and, it, and I just think it's going to be – I mean, does anybody – if when Ohio State hired Urban Meyer, did they think they were going to win one Big Ten title in six years, John? Is that what they thought? No. His Big Ten record is disgusting. He's lost five games in the league in six years. He's got one title. We don't have shared titles anymore. It's only one team. So the margin for error is so much smaller that I think we as Michigan fans have got to just kind of know our role a little bit. 
we don't have a huge in-state recruiting base. We're not Iowa, but we ain't Texas or Ohio either. Okay. Um, we're, we're, Sparty is stronger than they've ever been. You've been you've been fourth in the nation in recruiting the last two classes, bro. And and yet you're right. But the two classes, yes, Brady Hoke's the the two classes that he inherited from Brady Hoke's second and third year or first and second years were great. You know what Brady Hoke's classes the last two years were? The last one was fiftieth. The Harbaugh's yes. first, the Harbaugh's first real two classes were fourth. Yes. So that fiftieth class. That's not even counting the guys we lost to attrition because they just couldn't hack it here. We don't have any juniors and seniors, really. We don't. And I just think I just think what we're learning is that um, you just in two recruiting classes you can't compete with where those programs are at. Penn State now Penn State had one more year. I do think, and I think I think if we had one more class, I think that'd make a pretty big difference, provided that somebody in that class was a quarterback. Okay. Now, I have no idea, and I'll give James Franklin all the credit in the world, because it ain't like Bill O'Brien was stocking the shelves for him. They had, they had limited scholarships. Bill O'Brien was on the first train to Clarksville. He couldn't get out of there quick enough, thought, thought they were screwed. He was never going to be able to compete there on a big-time level. And he even saddled James Franklin with a quarterback who freaking hated his guts, and when he declared for the NFL draft, that Christian Ackenberg thanked everybody on campus except the head coach. He hated him. Okay, so I have no idea how James Franklin has managed to rebuild from a child rapist on campus quicker than we could rebuild from Rich Rod and Hope. But it has happened. Now, that doesn't mean the game day coaching is beyond criticism. And this is where, just like we were talking about with Iowa. Harbaugh's resume is what it is. These stupid hot takes of, of the same record Butch Jones had. Well, it's not the same thing. First of all, we have almost none of the same players that have lost these two games were the players that lost the three games at the end of last year. They're not even the same team. It's not even close. Secondly, he actually has a better first 33-game record than Urban Meyer did, than Nick Saban did as a head coach at a power at, at LSU and Urban Meyer at Florida. It's not it's this is a dumb these stats are put out by people like Feinbaum and others who rightfully to some extent are just sick and tired of Jim Harbaugh stealing headlines from coaches they think are more deserving. And I don't begrudge them of that, provided it doesn't get in the way of critical thinking. There's plenty of criticism. Why the hell were we running on fourth and 11 in the last meaningful possession of the game? Did we run an I formation play action pass? What the hell is that? Too many of our pass routes are on third and six guys are 20 yards downfield. We don't, when do you see us run quick slants? When do you see us run patterns designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quicker? Why the hell can't Michigan execute basic slide protections against stunting offensive linemen? There's plenty of game day criticism, but the problem is Michigan fans are becoming like Iowa fans now, where it's like the guy has no resume at all. It's like he was not three inches from winning a freaking Super Bowl. It's, it, it, and so if, if instead, of, instead of finding micro things to criticize in the now, he sucks, he's overrated, he's not the guy, he's not the same. It, it, it's like he's never done anything other than the last week's loss. And it's the same thing we're taught, we, did, we did yesterday with the Iowa fan base. It's like he's never been to the Rose Bowl. It's like he never won three, three top ten seasons. It's like he's never won multiple Big Ten championships. It's like he never had a freaking runner-up to the Heisman Trophy who probably should have won it. It's like he never put all these guys in the NFL. We lose one game every week. It's, it's fire the coach every time. How the hell do people even live like this, John? Seriously. How do they live like this? I, I don't know, and I don't want to know, frankly. I, I don't. 
that that's the time when you just look to get a new hobby, go do something else with your life because this really isn't for you. I mean, there was a Penn State fan who jumped on a grown man, and it says in his bio on Twitter, he's a civil engineer. He jumps on Wilton Spate. I don't even know why. Wilton Spate is rehabbing from cracked vertebrae. He may never even play again. He jumps on Wilton Spate's Twitter account to tell him, my only regret is we weren't the ones that cracked your neck. And, oh, by the way, I think I think uh, uh, Saquon just ran, ran over you for another touchdown. Now, and now I'm not big. Penn State has a cultish fan base, but that guy is in every fan base, and that's a problem. Oh, there's no question he's in every fan base, and those are the people why. Though that's kind of one of the reasons why I would love before I'm done doing whatever it is I do anymore, um, a message board where it's only real names, it's only verified. Oh yeah, ver- verified names. And you also have to like put your phone number or so that's probably a little too far, but verified names, your real name. So that if you want to make a comment like that and you actually have a boss who sees that, quite frankly, if that was my employee and I saw something like that, I'd be questioned whether or not I have somebody that could take that person's place because that's not the type of human being I really want in my organization. Preach. Because that's a freaking scumball. Scumball. I mean, like, like you pointed out with Iowa, there are some game day coaching issues. I don't know. I don't know what Jim's doing on the sidelines. It's like he's on Quaaludes this year. We don't. I, I haven't seen a lot of the fire. He's he's come across as very passive. Because you know what? Um, maybe maybe sometimes you got a horse, you whip it down the stretch. Sometimes you don't because it's the horse you've right. got. You right. And I yep. think that he maybe he knows that this what the term you use in the Iowa podcast. Maybe he realizes. Or realize at some point early on that this is going to be a cycle up year for Michigan. Yeah, and and I, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is we may not be a team. We may and it, it may not be possible with where the Big Ten is at, even for a great coach, for us to just be a 10-11 win team every year. We might just be what we've been most of our lives, which was a which was a team that. Most years you thought could win the Big Ten. Every three or four years you thought could win a national championship. And every now and then, man, there's an eight and four and a seven and five. Here's what's happened. In the big picture, every week it's not pretty football to watch. But here's what's happened. After essentially losing his entire team from last year, he's lost two games. One game we all thought he was going to lose, that game Saturday night. And then another game in a monsoon where they were minus five in turnovers and still had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win. I submit to you the problem is not the Penn State loss or even the margin. If they would have found a way to beat Sparty, we wouldn't be having any of these conversations right, right, right. now. That's the, that's the thing people are, are incensed about, and I don't blame them for that at all. There's plenty of game-day coaching issues to have, no doubt. But in the grand scheme of things, and I'll just end it with this because I think Iowa fans have probably heard enough Michigan talk. Prior to dropping out of the AP Top 10 two weeks ago, Michigan and had Michigan under Harbaugh had been in the AP Top 10 19 weeks. In the entire decade prior to his arrival, from 2005 to 2014, we had been in the AP Top 10 a grand total of 17 weeks. I counted it myself. All right? No, the, no, the guy's not overrated. If anything, he's underpaid. He's, the, what he's done in revitalizing, same thing. You don't have that beautiful new little stadium that that, that, that Kinnick has become now. 
where, where I used to joke it was a dump, and now it's one of the prettiest places to watch a game in the Big Ten. Where'd the money for that come from, John? Well, Big Ten network negotiations, but also winning some football games. Who won those games? Kirk was a head coach. Yeah. So if you ask me, he's still getting underpaid. Built you a damn football stadium. Harbaugh rebuilt an entire athletic department. So no, he's not. Oh, no, he's not overrated. I think Michigan fans, we have probably overrated what was possible as fast as he did it. And I think that's more of an issue for us internally than it is for him. But that does not mean he is absolved from criticism about how this season has gone. It's not the record. It's, it's the way the team has looked. And, but here's the, here's the other thing, too, though, and I, and I promise this is it. Do you remember in the, during the basketball season what I said about John Beeline? Do you remember? Uh, that he puts you to sleep. Yeah, it's time to move on. I thought we were done. We had we had a we had we had had a team that in 2014 we didn't make the or 2015 we didn't make the tournament 2016 we made one of those stupid play-in games and we had a terrible loss at home to a bad Ohio State team we should have beaten and it looked like in late January we were dead. How'd the season end? Turned out all right. Yeah, they won the Big Ten tournament, went to the Sweet 16. I even went so far as to say that if that Michigan team last year made the NCAA tournament, I would take a pie to the face on the internet which eventually I ended up having to do. My kids pied me in the face because I totally forgot, oh, yeah, John Beeline has a track record. Yeah, because so you, you're, you're one of those DB fans who you were talking about. Yes, exactly. Why do you think I know the damn description? I was talking about myself. I'm repentant. Yes. <laughs> so my point is, let's wait, let's wait and see how this all plays out, all right? If, if, if by chance they, they're going to win the next three games, if they win one of the last two and they end the year nine and three with all this turnover, you know what that is, John? Pretty much what everybody was that not your expectation for him? Was that not everybody's expectation for him? I find it disingenuous to have a bunch of people who told me all off season my expectations were too high. All these national media people telling me your expectations are too high. Now they're bitching and moaning that so you're mad that you were right? You should have just said, Hey, we told you you were too young. You should have listened to us. You're a year away. Okay, that's what it turned out. You were right. I was wrong. There you go. Uh, Michigan, I'm just pulling up our win total predictions for this year. Michigan mm-hmm. Michigan was at nine. I took the under. You took the over. But if it would have been nine and a half, you might have still. Taken- yeah. I mean, yeah. Nine, nine was the number as far as I yep. was concerned for them. And by the way, Iowa was six and a half, and we both took the under. And every single Iowa media member that I saw who made a prediction was pretty much either six and six or seven and five with maybe one or two eight and fours. So they're on schedule as well. Oh, oh, by the way, to all of you people listening to these podcasts, and the audience is rather substantial, clearly none of you is the type of fan Steve and I have referred to in each of these last podcasts. You guys are the cream of the crop. You're discerning, absolutely. No question about it. The best of the best. We're talking about those other people, some of the other people who've yet to find this podcast. And maybe one day when they do, they too can enter the land of enlightenment. I was going to say, bring them here for enlightenment, but you beat me to it. You, In fact, those that listen to this, you are you are who St. Thomas Aquinas was describing <laughs> when, he, when he said, when, when he said, seldom defy, rarely affirm, often distinguish he was talking about you guys that's how discerning you are there you go no doubt about it good time for a sponsor break we'll be back after this the black and gold unites us all but then what kevin the flag guy from heartland flags here if you're listening to this podcast you bleed black and gold 
But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. We return. Wisconsin, 38, Maryland, 13. Steve, Wisconsin, you've said this numerous times. I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm still not exactly sure about them. I don't think they're a top-five team in the country. Uh, Hell no, they're not. Who they played? Yeah, I, I what think... is their best win, John? Purdue is that their best win? Well, let's pull it up and take a quick look. I mean, at one point in time, we thought maybe BYU, but BYU is having one of their worst seasons in maybe our they're, lifetime. Th- th- this might be the worst team BYU has had in the history of their school. I mean, here's their wins: um, Utah State, FAU, Terrible. BYU, Terrible. Northwestern, Florida Atlantic. Actually, that's their best win. That's Lane Kiffin's team. They're going to win the conference USA. That's their best win. Yeah, at Nebraska, that was dominating, but Nebraska's not very good. Uh, Purdue and Maryland, so yeah. And, and, and even against Maryland, they, they've had a chance to really hammer some of these teams, and they haven't. And, and they've made some mistakes on offense. Their quarterback just is not he, – he's, he's a game manager that makes too many errors, but they've just had such a weak schedule, and their defense is still really good. They've been able to get away with it. But the thing is, Steve, here, here's what they've got. Um, this coming weekend, they're at Illinois. Then they're at Indiana, which actually that might be a good one. Then they're home against Iowa, who can't score points. Then they're home against Michigan, who can't score points. And they finish at Minnesota. They're going to be undefeated going to the Big Ten championship game. That's what I think. I don't think they will be. I, I don't. I, I think I think a schedule like this actually hurts you after a while. I, I think it. You get dull. Yes. Flaccid efforts. No, I don't. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't. And I think that yeah, this freshman tailback is lighting it up. But I think the fact that a freshman tailback can come into a program that is sort of a running back you like this. I mean, Najee Harris was the number one rated college or high school player in the last class. 24-7 said he was the highest-rated running back they had they had, they had um, um, scouted since Adrian Peterson came out. He can't get carries at Alabama. Well, Steve, that's Alabama. Well, Wisconsin's kind of where Alabama's at in terms of tailback recruiting. So the fact this kid just comes right in and can dominate like this tells me that maybe the upperclassmen behind him really aren't that good. Can you name me, name me two Wisconsin receivers? Go. No, I ain't gonna try. Okay, and Troy Fumagalli doesn't count. So I, I I don't think the margin for error for them, to me, they're a better executing version of Iowa. Um, I think they're a lesser talented version of Michigan. I think they're they have the schedule Michigan would have, and it would look a lot like if if, if we'd had this exact same Michigan team with Wisconsin schedule, what would it look like? I think it would look like this. That's what I think it would look like. I think, a lot of those, I think the scores would look very similar. I think it'd look a lot like this, actually. So I, I, I'm, I'm not impressed. 
They, I don't think they'll run the table. I, don't, I think eventually every week it gets on you after a while not having this game. All I right. think it hurts them that Michigan lost. Let me. I think it would have been great for them to have Michigan go in there with one loss and it's two top ten teams and game day is there. Now, hell, this might be an 11 a.m. game on ESPN2 now, okay? I, I think it hurts you. I do. Well, let me – since you think it hurts them, let me throw another team at you, okay? This team, through seven games – one, two, three, four, five, six – wait, no, one, two, three, four, five. Through, this, team is, this team has played eight games. They have not. They have not had a win over a team that is presently ranked. The only victory over a ranked team at the time they played them, that team is no longer ranked and now has four losses. Okay, that team has been taking names. That team has wins against Fresno State, uh, something called CSU, uh, Vanderbilt, a bad old Miss team, a bad Texas A&M team. A horrible Arkansas team, mm-hmm. a horrible mm-hmm. Tennessee team. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Alabama. Alabama, yeah. Are they a team that could be facing the uh, the dull problem yeah. and awaiting a Georgia are, are, team are that's played a lot yes. tougher schedule? Are you listening to what Nick Saban said four weeks in a row? One week you guys are rat poison. The next week my team isn't any good. I mean, he is doing this every week. Why? Because of what we're talking about with Wisconsin. Because his schedule sucks. That's why. Because what he wants to avoid is they don't play anybody for two and a half months. And then all of a sudden they, they, they play LSU or Auburn at the end of the year. And one of those teams one of those teams who defensively can say to Jalen Hurts, let's really find out if your downfield passing game is improved or not. Because you're not running the ball on us. Because those two teams have the defensive fronts to do that. Now, not, now, I'm not certainly not in LSU's case, and maybe not even in Auburn's, how many points their offenses can reasonably score against Alabama, but their goal is going to be, let's see if we can beat you 20-17. to 17. Or what LSU did last year when it was 10 to nothing. We're gonna, we, they have those teams who have the defensive fronts to make Jalen Hurts throw the ball down the field. And that's what Nick Saban is afraid of, is, is we have a stinker in there because we've lost our edge. Because here's what's different. You know, the last couple of years, that old Miss game for Alabama, even the one that they lost, but that's been a huge game three weeks, three years in a row. That was a, you know, even the this year's kickoff game against Florida State was supposed to be the biggest one Alabama ever faced. Well, Florida State, their longest bowl streak in the nation is at jeopardy right now. They got four losses. They only play, pardon me, they only play 11 games because they lost the game because of the hurricane so that means they have to get to six and five well they already have four losses and they got a game at clemson still to go which means they and they got a game at florida at the end of the year they have no margin for error at all well that that game doesn't mean doesn't seem like much now either so yeah your your concern about alabama is legit and you can and all you need to do is look at the way nick saban's behaving because he's trying to use his platform in the media to challenge them in ways they're not getting on Saturday afternoons. You're right about that. Yeah, I went over and looked at Georgia's schedule the rest of the way, too, and, and it's it's not that great. I mean, Alabama still hasn't played their FCS team yet. They got Mercer the second-to-last game before the Iron Bowl. You but know, here's the thing with Georgia. They have two big rival rivalry games left that are revenge games. Florida has dominated Georgia for 20 years. I think I think the series is like— Easy to get up for that one. Yeah, 15-5. to five. So it doesn't matter that Florida is 3-3. Three and three. 
none of these Georgia players know what it's like to beat Florida. And then at the end of the year, you have Georgia Tech who went into Athens and beat them last year. So there's some circumstances there to keep them sharp. Alabama isn't supposed to lose to Auburn, period. They, so they so Saban has to contrive that mental edge because of the very good uh, observation you just made. All right, let's move along to uh, more Big Ten games. All the you know, there's only uh, three SEC teams that are um, that are ranked in the top twenty this week, which is haven't seen that for quite some time actually. Um, elsewhere in the Big Ten from this weekend, you had Minnesota beating Illinois twenty four seventeen. Any comments on that one, Steve? Those are just not really good football teams. Yeah, 47 and, um, yards passing, I think, from Minnesota that game. And I'm very thankful that Fox gave us a night game with Minnesota in two weeks because we haven't played well in these national spotlight night games going back to Iowa last year and the two this year. So I'm glad they scheduled us a W under the lights. Appreciate that. Fox did us a solid tonight. Today. Yeah, yeah. Michigan State 17, Indiana 9. Those sons of guns covered. Seven and a half there at the end. What a horrible game that was. But you know what? L.J. Scott, don't you just 87 get the yards. Though at some point, don't you just get the point with them at, that at some point Sparty's house of cards is going to collapse? Don't you get that? Well, feeling? maybe it's not necessarily a feeling. Maybe it's more a hope. Because I can't stand D'Antoni. And I admit that. I admit that could be the case. I admit it. But but you know what? I mean, who who, who doesn't deserve an eighth chance in life? That's. With LJ, and of course, who scored the game-winning touchdown on Saturday? Sure, yeah, he drove, the, he drove the car right down the field and punched it in. Yep. And yep. D'Antonio's freaking sanctimonious crap. After I, I can't stand him. And I'm not even. I mean, you have far more reasons to not. I can't take. I'm him. with you. I'm with you. I mean, standing out there after beating Iowa two years ago and saying we have the Lord's favor. I, I'm with you on it, and I think the Big Ten Network has fed. A lot. Of course they have. They called him the reason. Dean of Discipline for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. Um, last Big Ten game, um, Rutgers 14, Purdue 12. Maybe Purdue hasn't turned that corner just yet. Well, that's another thing, too. You know, that was uh, Big Ten Network's team of the month this September. They couldn't get they couldn't get enough of them of some Purdue. They couldn't get – I loved them some Boilermakers. Well, they owed Purdue a lot of airtime for the last five years. Yeah, and I, and I get that. You may feel – when it's when when it's it's your own conf when you're the conference network and one school has been so bad your entire existence, I can see why you might feel like any legitimate optimism. Let's pump the prime the pump there to try to make good for what the last ten years have been like. I get that. To some yeah, extent. I mean but- Purdue, Purdue's been a mainstay of the D block of the highlight shows for the last five <laughs> years. I mean, you've got to get them a little A-block time here and there. I mean, at this point, based on what you just said, at this point, Purdue fans think Mike Hall is their sports information director, right? Is that what you're sort of saying? Yes. Because he's he's Mr. D-block on the Big Ten Network, right? So, um, But what's happening with Purdue is it's the offense. It was the offense. The defense physically held up against Wisconsin two weeks ago. The defense only gave up 15 points to Rutgers. The offense has suddenly just – and that's Jeff Brom's specialty. The offense is – uh, just it's imploded for Purdue in the last few weeks. That's what's happened there. Indeed it has. How about Notre Dame? Um, you know, I don't really care for them, but I can certainly call a spade a spade. I mean, early this season when Brian Kelly was being a Delta Bravo to some people in the media, we certainly jumped on that. But uh, they've got a pretty tough team this year in South Bend. Well, the, their team is made up the way that a lot of successful teams in college football are made up today. 
defensively, they've improved quite a bit. Mike Elko coming over from Wake Forest. I wouldn't be shocked if he was the Broyles Award winner for assistant coach of the year. I mean, that is a completely transformed Notre Dame defense from last season. And then we have Brandon Winbush, who is what Kelly wants to do more of, a run-first quarterback. They've got two first-round draft picks in the offensive line, uh, a fleet of quality tailbacks, and so they can control the clock on offense, and they're playing solid defense. I think what we have the next few weeks, though, their closing schedule, wow. Their closing schedule in order, NC State, Miami, Navy, Stanford. Miami and Stanford are on the road. Hmm. And those those are teams that, especially in NC State's case, their defensive front and that offensive front at Notre Dame will neutralize each other. NC State's defensive front is outstanding. And that's going to force Brandon Winbush to make throws. There was one other defense Notre Dame has played so far this year that had this, that had the horses up front to at least play Notre Dame's offensive line to a draw and make Brandon Winbush win the game with his arm. Who was that? Georgia. How many points did Notre Dame score in that game? 19, and they lost. So NC State can do that. Miami can do that. Stanford actually is not as good defensively as they have been. Um, they are, they're more explosive offensively. Um than they were last year because Christian McCaffrey was in and out of the lineup with injuries. So I don't think that game is as scary on the road for Notre Dame as it's typically been. And that was the game that, that cost them the playoffs two years ago. But the, the ACC game that they have left the two of them with Miami and, uh, and NC state, um, they can't, and, and with, and the, and with them not being in a conference, they, we, I think we're going to have a two loss team in here more than likely. But I don't know that we'll ever have a non-conference champion two-loss team, even if they're called Notre Dame. Last thing I want to talk about, Iowa State football. They beat Texas Tech 31-13. They're ranked this week, I think, for the first time since 2005. Correct. So we're talking about 12. And they, they ought to be the highest-ranked two-loss team, in my opinion. Yeah, so it's like October 1st, 2005, I think. They held Texas Tech... Was it just barely over you know, 336 total yards of offense uh, in Lubbock? The quarterback Kyle Kemp continues to have just—it's just a phenomenal story. David Montgomery, 28 carries for 164 yards. Where was that against Texas? They should actually only have one loss at this point in time. Just a phenomenal effort. And in past years, I would have been the guy. That would have just been a Delta Bravo and tweeted something on Saturday to say, well, enjoy Matt Campbell as long as you can, Iowa State fans, because um, he's going to be gone. But I'm not I'm not going to do that. And because I it's just I don't have it in me anymore. Really don't care that much. Kirk Herbstreet is a name we all know if you're listening to this Mm -hmm. podcast. He tweeted out on Saturday, dear ADs, thinking of making a new hire. I'll save you your coaching search firm fee. Go directly to Ames and get Maddie Campbell fast. Andy Garman from KCCI uh, replied, Matt Campbell is going to have a lot of rich suitors this winter, but I don't necessarily think that means he bolts. To which Herb Street responded, I don't make up the rules, Andy, but let me assure you, enjoy this team and coach in particular while you can. He's gone. What do you think? 
I think number one, um, I don't. I think you know, I have some. I, you know, I'm a big Kirk Herb Street fan. Okay, but as a Michigan fan, I have a lot of. I have a little bit of experience with Kirk Herb Street's uh, premature enunciation <laughs> on coaching hires. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll I'll leave it at that. The, the other thing I would say is, did you Jamie just come Pollard, up with that one? Did you like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did. Did you like that? Okay. I did. Jamie Pollard signed Matt Campbell to a really smart contract. He really did. A $9.4 million buyout to get a coach from Iowa State, man, is a steep toll. A steep toll. A mutual mutual buyout. Yes. Especially because any of the schools he would leave Iowa State for are probably paying the existing coach they're getting rid of 5 to $10 million to get rid of him. Yep. I tweeted that today. So before he coaches a game, before he wins a game, Matt Campbell could be a $20 million investment to you. Are you sure, based on one turnaround year at Iowa State, which frankly has been a turnaround month, because we were sitting here after the Texas loss thinking, what the hell's going on with that program? Yes. How could they look that bad in that spot? Mm-hmm. Are you the AD that wants to put 20, make a $20 million gamble on that? Not so sure about that. But let me approach this from a pro-Iowa State perspective for a second. Just something I want oh, sure. our listeners to consider. There's a history in the Big 12 of a program that historically has not been relevant, becoming nationally relevant for a period of time in this league. And all of the non-nationally relevant programs have had their turn, except one. Kansas State's been a nationally Kansas. I believe Kansas State's all-time win percentage in games not coached by Bill Snyder is 381. They were the worst right. football program of all time before he took them over, and yep. the, the the next fewest wins in the history of college football had 50 more wins. Wake Forest did more than Kansas State when Bill Snyder took over. From the time Baylor came into the Big 12 until the arrival of Art Bryles. They had the longest bullless streak in college football. Then they became a perennial top 10 team. You look at Kansas, became a, a nationally relevant program under Mark Mancino. This is, this is the one that I would feel most akin to Iowa State. But I would, I would argue that of all the schools we just mentioned, Iowa State, with maybe with the state, new stadium at Baylor, I would argue, though, in terms of fan support, facilities, and stadium, Iowa State is superior to all those schools. Fan support, no doubt. So if there's room in in this league, there's Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State had a couple nice years in the early 80s with Jimmy Johnson. They had one or two good years in the late 80s with Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders. The best they did after that for 20 years was Les Miles had him had, at 8-9. He was basically their Dan McCarney. They, went, they won six to nine games a year. And that's how and he parlayed that in the LSU job. Oklahoma State has never been this as nationally good as they are with Mike Gundy right now, ever. They've not been historically a power program. There has always been room in this league for a non-traditional program, not called Texas or Oklahoma, to be nationally relevant. Every school in this league has had its turn, except one. And if you look at those other schools, if I'm Tennessee, I go to Mike Gundy and I ask him, do you think you've tapped out there? What's it, what's, what would it take to get you to – see, that's why I would – if I'm going to pay $20 million for a buyout on both ends, I'm going to go get a guy I know has won in the Power Five. I'm going to get Mike Gundy, not Matt Campbell. 
If I'm Iowa, if, if, if you look at where Kansas is at, Kansas is spending $200 million in facility upgrades to catch up to Iowa State right now. Baylor's program is heading into nuclear winter. Kansas State, Bill Snyder, if this isn't his last year, it's next year. And we know historically, we saw what happened at Kansas State the last time he retired. Ron Prince. Why not Iowa State? Why not? Why? Well, Iowa State's program right now is in better shape than Kansas State's was when it took, uh, took off under Bill Snyder. It's in better shape than, than Baylor's was when it took off under Art Bryles. It's in better shape than Kansas was when it took off under Mark Mangino. It's in better shape than Oklahoma State's was when it took off under Mike Gundy. There's, if, if you're Iowa State, this is my pitch to Matt Campbell. All these other programs, with the possible exception of, of Oklahoma State, depending on what Mike Gundy decides to do, because he's going to have some offers this offseason, especially out of the SEC, I believe. Depending on what Mike Gundy wants to do, if I'm Jamie Pollard, that's my sales pitch to Matt Campbell is, why can't you do, why can't you be Art Bryles? Why can't you be Mark Mangino? Why can't you be Bill Snyder? Especially because all, you're already better, better, you're already better than Cliff Kingsbury. I think we've established that the last two years. Why can't you be that one of those? You already beat Oklahoma. Oh well, how do we know Lincoln Riley can coach? What has Lincoln Riley done? Nothing. He's 34 years old. We don't know what he can do. I think Tom. Her I think the world of Tom Herman. Texas already lost more games this year than I thought they were going to lose the entire season. Matt Campbell's resume has got a better resume of coaching than Lincoln Riley does. It's pretty – what he did at Toledo is kind of on par with what Tom Herman did at Houston. Now, I'm not saying this is how things will turn out. I'm just saying that if I were Jamie Pollard, this is the pitch I would be giving. And I would – now, listen, if Tennessee comes calling, I think that's hard to say no. But if, if it's Nebraska, I would I, – I would, and, and I would, if I were Jamie, I would say to Matt, so let me get this straight. For maybe a million or two more a year, and really three million or two and a half million a year goes a hell of a long way living in Ames, Iowa, brah. Okay, so for a million more, a million or more or so a year, you're going to take on ten times the headache, and you're going to be the coach that wasn't named Scott Frost, the favorite son who spurned Nebraska, whose shadow you will operate in with a 70-year-old AD. That's the arrangement you want. I wouldn't take that offer if I was Matt Campbell at all. I would not. Yeah, I mean, with Kansas State, Snyder, there are a number of good junior college football programs in that state, and the admissions at Kansas State are not high. And I think that's how he did it. Baylor, you know, in the state of Texas, I think Kansas, in my opinion, would be the best analog. So I'm not, I'm not like poo-pooing your thoughts. Why, those, those, those colleges existed when Ron Prince was the coach at Kansas State, too. Well, sure. Can, All those build, high build, build, in Texas – all those high school players in Texas were there when Guy Morris was coaching at Baylor too. No doubt, no doubt about it. No doubt. Now, 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 you have what you're saying is 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 there were natural resources to take advantage of there. I'm not denying that. I'm just simply saying all those natural Independence Community College in Kansas didn't just get good at football in 1997. Right. They've been churning out players there for 50 damn years. Why did they just? Why did? Why did it just matter? How come it matters more when Bill Snyder brings those kids in than Ron well, sure. Prince? We, we Bill, Bill Snyder, yeah. Bill Snyder, probably both of us. I mean, I got into a little bit of a debate with some Nebraska friends this weekend. The, the, I, I said Bill Snyder's arguably the greatest college football coach of all time. And they're like, well, he's, he's not better than Tom Osborne because he doesn't have the titles. I'm like, I'm sorry, Tom Osborne. Nebraska won two national championships in the four years before he took over. And every single one of those years, they were first place in the Big 12. Give me Bill Snyder. 
But um, so, yeah, you, you have to be a good coach. And I think it's going to be harder to sustain it. But he is turning the corner. I'm, I'm not trying to poo poo what he's doing. Believe me, I'm not. And I, no, and I still think, and I think, I think both, games. I think, I think both Iowa State and Iowa can be successful at the same time. I don't think it's a zero sum game the way that it was under the styles of Dan McCarney, per se. Agreed. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you look at the way Iowa State is recruiting, the style of their program. I mean, Iowa State was a derivative of Iowa's program. I mean, McCartney was greatly inspired. Hayden was his mentor. He built it. I mean, the walk, the emphasis on the walk-on program, just like Hayden did when he originally built Iowa. It, it, it was a miniature version of Iowa. That's why the Iowa game was so big to them. He's that's not That is not Matt Campbell's brand. So I think it is possible for them both to be simultaneously successful, and even many years under Ference and, and McCartney. Both programs right. were simultaneously in bowl games. But it, I think Matt. I, I don't think Matt Campbell will be coaching at Iowa State in five years. Okay, I don't. But I'm just saying he has an opportunity to do a few things in the next two, three, or four years. That if you do them at Iowa State, then whatever you think you're worth right now, you're worth five times that. Five times that. Right. Right. You, you know, know what's interesting. My last thought on this is. Every one of Jamie Pollard's hires hasn't been a home run. I don't know many ADs that do that. But when you look at when he hired Fred Hoiberg, uh, I, I know that you know you were certainly high on it, but not everybody was. I think there were a lot of people that questioned it because Hoiberg had never coached at any level mm-hmm. before he came to Iowa State. And what he did there speaks for itself. Um, Gene Chizik was the hot hire. Yep. In college football, when he hired him, and he was the hotness coordinator, like Joe Moorhead at Penn State is right now. No question about it, and and he brought in some talent before he bolted after a couple of years to Auburn, and then he won a national championship. That was a good hire. The wrestling hire that they just made, I think, is a fantastic hire. Um, Prome actually looks to be doing just fine on his own legs now, removed from the Hoiberg era as it relates to recruiting. Jamie has done a heck of a job finding guys. See, maybe, maybe seeing. When he hired Greg McDermott, he was the hot mid no coach in America. No question yeah. about it. He's Jamie's done a, a pretty darn good job in that regard. He's been a fantastic AD, and what, what Nebraska should have done, frankly, is they should have they should have they should have gone to Jamie Pollard and yes, hired him as their I, AD. I would agree, and then made and then let Jamie. Because here's the other thing. It's not even – could you imagine Scott Frost going to Tennessee and you take that job with a spurned fan base and now you have an outsider AD who's pushing 70, who's not, who, who doesn't have the cachet with the fan base and probably doesn't have the longevity in the job to give you a couple of years to reinvent a program that if, that, with a fan base that's in – that Nebraska job, if they don't get Scott Frost – is not a good job no, for whoever's going to fall down the line. No doubt. Yep. No doubt. All right. That will do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. As always, Steve and I appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you soon.